Welcome to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we discover our personal definition of wealth through conversations with talented and successful women who are living their version of a wealthy and meaningful life. Teresa Leftenant is owner of Reinventing Her Money, a boutique financial planning and wealth management company located on Seattle's east side. Teresa is a licensed financial advisor and certified financial planner professional. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA, SIPC. CFP and Certified Financial Planner, the Certified Financial Board of Standards Incorporated, owns these certification marks in the U.S., which it awards to individuals who successfully complete CFP Board's initial and ongoing certification requirements. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for an individual. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified professional. Our guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Teresa Leftenant, or Reinventing Her Money. Welcome to episode 10 of A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we explore how women create a meaningful and abundant life on her terms. As a certified financial planning professional, wealth advisor, author, and speaker with over 30 years experience, professional women hire me to gain the right knowledge, confidence, and commitment to prepare for planned and unplanned changes that inevitably happen as they pursue their version of a wealthy life. And a wealthy life is not just about how much money we have in the bank. True wealth is found through pursuing a balance between all things important to us. The mission of this show is to engage in casual yet deep conversations with experts who are living a wealthy life on her terms. We'll explore what it means to live a wealthy life and learn specific ways that our guests are doing just that. And I'll be sharing tips and ideas to help Make sure you have the money you need to pursue your own version of a wealthy life. You know, I read the Puget Sound Business Journal journal on a regular basis, and an article that caught my eye today said, a record number of women are among the CEOs of companies in this year's ranking of the Fortune 500, a list of the largest U.S. corporations by total revenue. The number of companies run by women wait for it, hit 37 on the 2020 list compiled by Fortune magazine. That's up from last year's record of 33. That means that women helm 7.4% of the largest companies in the country. So we've made some great strides, ladies, but it's also a stark reminder that we have a long way to go. And my guest today, Paula Chronister and I, She's an executive women to uh, to um, she is an executive coach to women in these very same companies, and she we're going to discuss ways that executive women get promoted and make more money. So one of my clients recently said to me the other day, she told me how much money she makes, and she said it this way: "I am making an obscene amount of money." Well, I love it when women share openly about their income because it's something that women are in our culture are programmed not to do. If we make a lot of money, we don't want to tell anyone because we don't want them to feel jealous. And maybe that's because when we hear that someone else is making more money than we are, we feel jealous of her. I mean, maybe not all the time, but that might ring true to you. But whatever amount of money we earn from our job or our business, it's kind of helpful to think of it as just a number. It doesn't really reflect on our value as a person, nor does it mean that we're better than someone else or someone else is better than us. It's just a number and numbers can change. The best advice I give my clients is to figure out what number they want to be making and then make a plan to go out and make it. So let me ask you, what would be a ridiculous amount of money that you would like to make? You know, what's a big number in your mind? Is it $500,000 a year, $150,000, maybe a million dollars a year? I invite you to try on your big number in your mind right now. A number that really, really scares you. Just for fun, you don't have to tell anybody. Or maybe you will tell somebody and make it more real, more of a possibility. 
Because the more we talk about something, the more our mind will help us figure out how to get it. For me, the scary number has always been making a million dollars a year. Now, I've been a six-figure earner for most of my career, and I've always held that million-dollar figure in my mind as really tantalizing, but just out of reach. It's true, sometimes I get those glimpses of the possibility of making a million dollars, but then that vision seems to slip away out of my mind because I hear all sorts of reasons why it will never happen. Who do you think you are? I mean, that's always the first thought we have whenever we challenge ourselves to really be big, right? And then we hear, well, you can't work that hard. You'll lose all your relationships. And on and on and on our mind goes. Well, what does your mind tell you when you think about your big number? You know, the one that feels so scary and impossible and yet so tempting all at the same time. And by the way, you know this, those thoughts in your mind, they can be dealt with. Something I help my clients with so that they can pursue their big number, regardless of all those silly little limiting thoughts. So in order to pursue and ultimately experience our financial goals, it just makes sense that we need to spend some time thinking and planning about how we are going to influence our income so it continues to increase year after year throughout our working life. You know, one of my clients has put increasing her income at the top of her career goals. In fact, it's actually the top of her overall life goals. So she is in conversation with her bosses weekly about what is required for her to step up to the next level. And how is she progressing toward her goal? She asks them that. She always has her eye on the next position, why she would be great at the job, and what she has to do to get promoted. And she does a great job communicating to her bosses how she's contributing and what she sees ahead for herself in her career. My client is all, always searching the job boards, reading industry news, networking with executives in positions above her, and she always carves out time to improve herself, her knowledge, and her skills. Now, she told me that she knew she had this tendency that a, a lot of women have to undervalue herself. So she took my advice and put extra attention on understanding her true value to the company. So how has my client's income increased over the years? Actually, it's up 69% over the past seven years since she began focusing on her increase my income plan. So before I get to my guest, I want to share just a few quick tips to help you start thinking about your increase my income plan. And then we'll go into deeper ways, uh, my guest and I, about how you can really think about integrating yourself and becoming more valuable to your corporation. So tip number one is to research and stay up to date on what all the positions that you're interested in might be making. You know, I've, I know that there are sites like Payscale and Glassdoor and Salary.com. Knowing where you land on the pay scale can help you when you're in those negotiations and conversations. Tip number two is to encourage your friends and coworkers to talk about their salaries. I know this can be so uncomfortable, but women will only soar to higher positions in their careers if they support each other. So talking about it will help you get more comfortable seeing your salary as just a number and talk about how you can all maximize your opportunities with your other female friends and coworkers. Tip number three is to journal about the value you bring to your job and to your company. Think about it from different perspectives like, yes, your skill set and your education and your experience, but also your passion, your personality, and your commitment. Because embracing your real intrinsic value will make it easier to communicate it to your boss. You have to believe it before they will believe it. 
Tip number four is to practice asking and saying a higher, a higher salary number. Practice out loud many times before you have an interview or when you talk about it. Because as our mothers always said, practice makes perfect. And if you come up to one of those pesky money blocks, get some assistance if you can't overcome it on your own. Blocks are just information and they can be overcome. Don't stop just because you feel uncomfortable, stumble, or make a mistake. So in summary, decide how much money you ultimately want to make. Have an action plan of how you're going to move upward toward that number, and your mindset will either support the pursuit of your goal or hold you back. If you need help getting your mindset untangled, a money mindset coach like myself or a therapist can help. Okay, so my guest today, Paula Cronister, has coached executives and their teams to significantly increase their performance. For over 30 years, she worked with Fortune 500 companies in multiple industries, including financial, healthcare, oil and gas, and banking. Paula was director of PricewaterhouseCoopers and currently works as a consultant for ExpressWorks International while also finding time to run two of her own businesses. Cronister & Associates is her ongoing private consulting firm. Her focus is optimizing executive teams, large-scale change transformation, execution of business strategies, and aligning culture. And Higher Heels is dedicated to engaging, educating, and empowering professional women to step fully into their leadership in powerful ways through customized executive coaching. Wow, I can't believe I have such an impressive woman on the show. Welcome, Paula. I'm so very happy that you took time out to share some of your top insights, you know, that you've, re that you've gleaned over the years of coaching executive women as they are really trying to maximize the, their careers and make more money. Well, well, thank you, Teresa. It's really a, a pleasure to uh, to be invited and to engage with you on this very important subject. So I uh, appreciate being asked and, and having this opportunity. Well, you know, you and I have talked over and over about how passionate we are to, you know, help women. And we really want them to uh, be able to reach their goals, both in career and in life. So before we talk about how you coach other women to maximize their careers, I'd like to ask if you would share, you know, just a short overview synopsis of your own career story. So what was your path to becoming an executive coach? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, when you asked me that question in preparation for this interview, I had to really think about my, you know, my own path. And I've, I've recognized in my life, I've always followed my interest and my passions. And, uh, you know, and our paths have crossed during those, those times um, yes. With, yes. with those passions. And uh, as a result of that, uh, you know, I realized fairly early on that, I was really driven by a sense of purpose around things and that that purpose was really about making things better. Mm -hmm. and, and I found quite quickly that I was drawn to the complexity of large organizations and that, that focusing in on leadership uh, is the quickest way to make improvements in an organization. Uh -huh. And so there was a natural relationship with that. And so I got into the field of organizational effectiveness and organizational development about 30 years ago. And what I saw very quickly was the level of influence leaders have on organizations and leadership teams have on organizations. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it is the most critical factor for whether or not uh, an organization is successful, whether or not employees feel like they have opportunities whether or not employees feel valued and can actually have a meaningful careers and meaningful, uh, you know, uh, jobs and experiences within work. Right. And so, uh, so it's just naturally drawn into that area and then found that, that that's, that's such a critical component. It became my area of focus. 
So in other words, you raised your own uh, level of influence by becoming leaders in the organizations that you were working for. And then you saw that perhaps you could help other women do what you did. Am I right about that? You know, uh, yes, you know, and and you got to always remember when I talk about being in the field of organizational effectiveness and uh, uh, and looking at organizational behavior is that most of my profession has been from a consulting perspective. And so when I go into organizations, I'm literally consulting normally at a leadership level. Because that's where the area of influence is, as well as that's who hires you, right? Yes. <laughs> hired by uh, by senior executives to come in and actually help them be more productive as an organization. Right. And they're looking for different skills that uh, would support theirs or offset or whatever. So that's how an organization is built from a small company to a midsize and then ultimately a large company. Exactly. Well, obviously, experience is the best teacher. And so when we come back, I'm going to take a little break. But when we come back, I'm going to ask you, Paula, to share your top insights from coaching executive women. So don't go away, everyone. The best part of the show is yet to come. We'll be right back. Reinventing Her Money was born in 2003 with the vision of expanding services beyond traditional wealth management to include financial literacy, money mindset, and empowerment coaching for professional women who have unique challenges to becoming financially independent. Start your journey towards pursuing a financial life on your own terms at ReinventingHerMoney.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant and my guest, executive coach Paula Cronister. So Paula, what is one of the most important aspects that executive women can have in order to, you know, be promoted to leadership and to pursue the, the career goals that are important to her? You know, I, I think the first thing that that I coach people around and, and look for in, in terms of uh, working with people is really uh, helping people believe in themselves mm-hmm. and their own competence you know, and their own value. I mean, you spoke a little bit to that as you were making some opening remarks is really starting to understand what your value is and starting to feel confident in that value and that you actually have something to offer. And uh, it's as good, if not better than, than what anybody else has to offer around that. So, so we sort of start with that areas, find your value, you know, start to feel, you know, strength in your confidence Right. And so defining your own particular unique value and being able to communicate that is how you build confidence. Absolutely. I mean, that, you know, really sort of recognizing uh, what, as you said, what you actually bring to the party that's unique. Uh, you know, what, one of the things we find in terms of you start taking a look at, at leadership uh, capabilities, people get promoted because of that uniqueness. Uh-huh. Not because they're vanilla. You know, it really is finding those strengths and, you know, being able to promote those and really add some additional value to the organization through the exercise of those particular strengths. And so the more you can start to get in touch with what are those things that are unique to me and authentic to me as a person uh, that I can really sort of bring forward in the in the organization to really add value to it. And I feel like that can almost be counterintuitive to what uh, a new person who's just getting used to an organization might feel because fitting in is such an important, you know, need that we all have when we get around new people, new situation. But in actuality, are you saying that leaders actually separate themselves from the pack because of their unique value? Um. You know, I mean, I think we all want to, you know, I won't say we all, you know, most people actually do want to fit in with their teams, be part of the team. 
Right. Uh, and uh, and be recognized for for that and feel a sense of belonging, you know, especially as you are new to a team. Um, so so I think when you start dealing with executives mm-hmm. and people who are promoted into to leadership roles or people who have you know a lot of good leadership potential, um, uh, you will see them bring that uniqueness to the team. And it can be in terms of, you know, a particular kind, you know, competency that they have uh, that they can add additional value with. It can be um, uh, you know, uh, speaking to, to, you know, maybe having a strategic point of view around yeah. with the team and sort of elevating the team's conversation as a result of that. And so it's sort of finding again, finding that sort of unique thing because we all have it. Every one of us has certain skills and competencies and, and, you know, predispositions that are uniquely ours and that really add a lot of value. And so being able to bring them. Yeah, this, I love this message. And, you know, we talk, I talk about confidence with money a lot with my clients because it's so key to making, to overcoming challenges and change and making good financial choices. So how do women build confidence in an organization? Well, you know, uh, I mean, one by doing good work. <laughs> yeah, that always helps. Yeah, uh, you, you know, but there's another element of it of it which I often see with women, which is being able to promote their work and promote what it is they're doing. You know, a lot of women will do a lot of really great work, but never never promote it. So that that when somebody is looking for somebody to step into, you know, a more, uh, you know, a leadership role, uh, they don't see they don't automatically see that particular person. Um, You know, one of the things that I learned from one of my executive clients was uh, and she was actually exceptional at doing this. And I'll just tell you tell you her story. So uh, she actually had a strategy and I would watch her in multiple jobs. So I actually worked with her in multiple jobs. I worked with this woman for over 10 years. Okay. And so during that those 10 years, she had four different jobs, all you know, with escalating salary, escalating responsibility, escalating size of a size of an organization. And these were her like five things that she constantly did was one was she listened really well. And she listened particularly well to her boss and key influencing stakeholders. And she listened for their goals, what was important to them, you know, what success looked like for them. And then she would tightly align her goals and priorities with what these folks wanted. You know, the second thing that she would do, uh, she also had goals she wanted to accomplish. I mean, that was maybe, you know, uh, uh, you know, influencing the way in which, you know, the corporation was was, uh, you know, addressing environmental issues, for example, because she has a Ph.D. in in, in environmental science. Uh, And but she would first focus on their goals and and be able to deliver something, you know, and then she, you know, add additional value with her goal around how she wanted to promote something and build something in a particular kind of way. The third thing she did, uh, uh, she really built her strategic plan to deliver these goals uh, and that she would keep all these stakeholders and her boss briefed and updated in terms of her accomplishments and her team's accomplishments. And she used every opportunity to report on the status and the results that she was getting. The fourth thing that she did was that she regularly shared the achievements of her her organization at large. And so always promoting you know, always promoting, you know, this is what, you know, you know, this particular team did in my group. This is what this particular team did. This is the results we're getting for the business. Uh, and the fat, you know, fifth thing she did was she volunteered for leadership roles to promote result, results, you know, on these goals with her boss's leadership team uh, or cross-functional steering committees. I mean, corporations have a lot of cross-functional, you know, uh, leadership groups that they are part of. And they're always looking for somebody to sit on those particular groups. And so a lot of times it's additional work, right? I mean, you've got your own job and then all of a sudden this opportunity uh, comes along and she would, she would volunteer to be able to take those kinds of things so that she could build relationships across the corporation because sometimes opportunities come outside of your functional area. And that she was able to, again, promote her results, 
you know, you know, show the value that she could add to things. And so that's, that was her five step recipe. And I watched her do it again and again and again and learned from her. Wow, those are really brilliant five five things to keep in mind. I hope our listeners took some notes. I know, you know, what I notice is, boy, she is not only working hard in her career, but she's working smart, and she learned through um, uh, listening and and really paying attention to her environment so that she could figure out what worked in that organization. Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that women I know have challenges with is this whole idea of competition, competition between themselves and men or themselves and another woman. And so, you know, feeling qualified is part of that uh, need or, you know, need and focus on competition. So how do qualifications play a role in in competition and how women get promoted? Well, you know, it's it's uh, so so first of all, one of the things that 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 the research shows in in this arena is that women feel like they have to be at least eighty percent or or more qualified for a job to go after it. <laughs> uh, and men typically, again, research shows uh, that men will go after a job that they may be fifty or sixty percent qualified for. Hmm. Right. And so, first of all, it's about, you know, putting yourself forward for things and recognizing you don't have to be totally qualified for a job to go after it. Right. And in fact, actually, you don't really want to be because mm-hmm. if you were totally qualified for that job, you would already you it's probably already the job you have. Right. Right. And so, so you want a job that that's going to stretch you and that you can learn from and that you can grow into. And men intuitively seem to know this, or they're raised with this, you know, uh, and women, uh, not as much so. And so, you know, I always encourage, you know, the people that I work you know, with to reach for things, to go for stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I, you know, I really like to do that particular job, but, I, you know, I don't think I have all the qualifications. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of great qualifications, you know, and I, you know, I have an experience with one client uh, just just recently. I mean, she is just, you know, she's just outstanding at many, many different areas. Uh, but she is she is, uh, you know, not always willing to promote herself, not always willing to sort of grab those particular kinds of opportunities. And so she's been reworking her resume. And so I actually asked her to sort of look at it and say, like, uh, you know, what are what are the things that excite you? What is it that as you look back at your career that, um, uh, you know, where you've really excelled, where you've really had passion uh, and, you know, let's write it, you know, let's write your resume, not by like jobs, but let's write it in terms of, you know, what you did, you know, and the value you brought to, to the party. And I, uh, I, uh, and I just actually reviewed her her revised resume this morning, and it's just really, really well done. And she was able to really focus in on five areas where she could add, you know, a huge amount of value to any corporation who would hire her. And she is just now starting to uh, put that resume out and start to go out for interviews. And so, uh, so she's she's pushing pushing herself around this, and I'm glad to see it. Well, that's a really exciting thing for her and for others to realize that sometimes we have to think outside the box. And you mentioned it. We have to stretch beyond our comfort zone. I mean, you and I, uh, you know, we do a lot of that. We've we've got to where we are now because we have learned how to get out of our own way, to go for things, to do things that make us feel uncomfortable. So how do you coach women to do that? Because, you know, a lot of women, that's hard for them to be uncomfortable. It's hard for them to do things that they're not sure of. How can women stretch their comfort zone at work? Well, you know, I, I think uh, it's called just do it. <laughs> you, you really, you're not going to get comfortable until you do it. And you were talking earlier about practice, right? You know, sort of saying, you know, your mom did tell us practice was the right thing. That's exactly it. You know, it's, it's a little bit like a muscle. When you first go to work out and you can only lift so much weight and, uh, and your muscles get uncomfortable, right? They may hurt. Lactic acid, it builds up. <laughs> but the more you do that, the stronger you get and the more you can lift. 
And the fact actually starts to become, you know, like second nature. It is no big deal to do it once you've done it for, you know, 30 days. So it's the same kind of thing. You've got to put yourself out there. I mean, you and I went through training with with uh, Jack Canfield, you know, a number of years ago. And he used to always say, you know, you're going to get rejected a lot in the world uh, when you put yourself out there. But the way to respond to that is next. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we have to get used to failing because failing is part of how we we learn and how we adjust and how we figure out what to do next. So, you know, I know my own self. I had a lot of struggle with being okay with my failures. Uh, You know, it's still something that I have to really talk to myself about because I do fail. So uh, failing and being willing to go ahead and push through and learn and see things differently. That's really one of the biggest important things to learn to do, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. You know, in fact, actually, one of the one of the um, trends happening in in the world of of leadership uh, today is, you know, the whole concept of leaders are most powerful when they're the most authentic. Yes. And the way in which leaders can, you know, create an environment where the employees can thrive and innovate and create is to make making mistakes, you know, okay. That we learn from our mistakes and to be vulnerable as a leader and to come out and say, you know, I, I'm, I make mistakes. You know, I'm not always perfect. Right. And, and because that humanizes, uh, you know, a leader makes them you know, clearly authentic. They're a human being just like the rest of us. But it helps, actually helps the rest of the organization really grow. And right. Say, you know, if we're going to try something innovative, sometimes it doesn't work. Right. Fact, right. If it's a sure thing, it's not innovative. We're not pushing right. ourselves. Yeah, and I really hear you saying that a lot. It's about ideas. It's about creativity, innovation. That's how, you know, if you can learn to release your your own inhibitions and your own fear of failure, that's how you're going to get noticed at work and then be able to play a bigger game. Mm-hmm. And so you have to stretch yourself to become a bigger person to play a bigger game. So what else uh, is helpful to women to play a bigger game? Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I, I think that 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 really starting to look at how do other people play bigger games? What are they seeing their colleagues doing, male, female, you know, uh, in the business environment that they're in? Because the, you find role models everywhere. You know, you go to a, a team meeting and you'll find that people will stand out in particular kinds of ways and you can see that they're playing a bigger game. We'll start to take a look at it and say, what are they doing? Right. Normally a series of behaviors. I mean, it does require a little bit of analytical work to sort of say, okay, if I had to take apart what I see them actually doing, what is it? You know, mm-hmm. Do they have superior emotional intelligence so that they actually can disagree with people in a way that's very comfortable mm-hmm. and be able to have, say, hey, you know, let's think about this in a different way. You know, as opposed to feeling like you're being criticized from someone, you know, is it that, you know, we talked earlier about, is it that they, they uh, ask good strategic questions? You can learn to ask strategic questions. Right. You don't have to just naturally be as, you know, a person who thinks strategically. I mean, to think strategically means you think more broadly. You, you can get up and see, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of like the, the view over the forest, Right. What's happening? Uh, so you don't get like you know, overly caught up in the trees, but you can see the larger picture. I mean, we used to teach, I used to teach in a leadership program, and we called it standing on the balcony. Ah. You raise yourself up, look over things and say, so, so what's happening, you know, externally? What's happening internally? What are the trends in my professional field? What's new? What's going on? How do I bring all those things together to say, what's the impact then on my, you know, my business, you know, my market segment and, and what it is that I'm doing. And so it, it helps you start to say, you know, I can see things at a more strategic level as opposed to, you know, just sort of saying, oh, the strategy group is a group that thinks about strategy. As a leader, you have to think strategically. 
Wow, that is so important to uh, figure out and learn how to develop the ability to have strategic thinking for yourself and then for your team and then also developing emotional intelligence and those relationship skills. So we're going to take another uh, quick break, but when we come back, I want to turn the question a little bit to this idea of purpose and contributing, you know, at your work and being able to marry contributing with making good money and reaching your career goals. So stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back to a wealthy life for her. Professional women face unique challenges from financial and life circumstances that threaten their long-term financial security. Women earn less than men, live an average five years longer, take time out from their careers to raise children, and are less confident making financial choices. Are you ready to solve the challenges that are robbing you of financial independence? Visit ReinventingHerMoney.com and schedule a chat with a female financial planner who cares. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. Hi there. Welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with my guest, Paula Chronister, executive coach. And, you know, Paula, we have to admit we live in a complex world and many people are saying that it's women-oriented solutions that could bring real change, positive change to many of the problems in our world. So when women contribute more, they make more money. So how do women balance feel that their need for making a contribution with making more money? Well, you know, as you say, the the two of them have a tendency to be correlated. Yeah. Make a greater contribution to an organization uh, and the organization sees it. And, you know, uh, you know, and you ask for opportunities uh, that you traditionally within that, you know, get more money uh, associated in terms of like, you know, being inside organizations. Uh, it right. is that. And so, um, like I said, like the, the two are, you know, correlated uh, around that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's a there's a real desire I think in the women that I talk to to feel like they're making a difference in the time that they spend at the, at at a corporation, and um, so you know sometimes women have a tendency to say, well, making a difference and contributing to the world is way more important to me than making money. So let me ask you this: it, it this way, do you feel uh, that there is a positive change happening in the way women's contribution? and the, the compensation they get, do you think it's improving? Are women making more money for their contribution? Yes, they are. I mean, are they making the same amount of money that men do? I mean, we already know that the answer to that's, you know, n- no. Right, right. Uh, uh, but are they making more money? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it depends on who you work for, but uh, uh you know, if you are doing a comparable job, you know, in, in many corporations and certainly the corporations that, that I'm familiar with, uh, if you are doing a comparable job to a man and you are you are you know ranked at the same level, you know, at the same pay grade level, et cetera, uh, you're normally compensated within a range a salary yeah. range uh, around that. And uh, uh, and there's a lot of equalization that is now starting to happen around those particular kinds of things because people are putting a lot of emphasis on that. Yeah, there's a lot more light on the subject now mm-hmm. than there used to be. And so that's only going to, I think, improve things uh, in the future. And I know younger women are just, you know, really demanding uh, more than I did when I was in corporate America. And um, so that's all that's all really great. In fact, you know, I've I've been out of corporate America for for a really long time, 20 years. And when I worked there, I I always felt like I just really couldn't figure out how to get on the inside. Like I felt like an outsider. And um, I, I wonder if that's, you know, still something that you help your 
your ladies with when you're coaching them? How can uh, women be more embraced as a member of their team if they feel like an outsider? Well, I think it's a lot of a lot of it is about building relationships. You know, we have we you know, with one of my clients, I work with a leadership model that has four leadership expectations on it. The first one is that ability to align and inspire. Uh, you know, the second one is building relationships. And those relationships are both internal to the organization as well as external partnerships. Uh, you know, and those are partnerships are with suppliers, they're with governments, they're with, with you know, uh, uh, politicians. I mean, there's, there's with a lot of different kinds of things, but, but really, really focusing on, in on like, how do I really build authentic relationships so mm-hmm. that I feel, you know, uh, part of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, within that is, is also uh, starting to take a look for, one of the things, and, and Teresa, you and I have spoken about this previously, which is the idea of starting to understand organizational politics, because sometimes people don't feel like they fit in because they don't understand the political uh, structure of the organization. And I always coach people to recognize that politics are are always with us. In every situation we are in, there is politics. So to think that we're going to be in a politically free organization is just it just doesn't happen, uh, you know, because people have, con- you know, conflicting and different interests and different agendas. And anytime you have that, you have politics because people are trying to influence their agenda one way or another. And so I always tell people, you know, find people who actually are really good at maneuvering through the politics of the organization and take them to lunch. Yes. Can you share with me? I've noticed this. Can you share with me? You know, your insights in this particular, you know, area. Now, I'm trying to learn. Uh, most people actually are flattered when you uh, ask them for help in some way and actually approach them from a genuine learning perspective. And, uh, you know, are open yourself around that. You know, and so look for, for those kinds of folks and, you know, find somebody who's particularly good at it, who you can have a mentor relationship with. And say, hey, would you mind if we, we get together for you know lunch once a month where we can actually discuss this particular kind of thing and, and you know, maybe bring some 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 you know challenges you you had to them and say, hey, this is a challenge I had. I was in this particular meeting, this particular kind of thing happened. I didn't feel like I had any influence you know, in this situation. What could I have done differently? Uh, you know, a lot of times people, and I'll tell, you know, as I work with clients. You know, we'll strategize around those things and we'll look at it and say, wow, well, what kind of what kind of work did you do prior to going into the meeting to be able to get other people to support your idea? Did you shop your idea? Did you talk? You know, did you talk to people about it? Did you incorporate their feedback into your ideas or or not? You know, uh, did you ask people to you know speak up for your idea while you were there? Uh, you know, as part of it. So, so, you know, what are you doing to prepare, you know, to get your ideas sold um, in, in, uh, in meetings around that? So uh, those are the kinds of things that I work with, with my clients around. Yeah. And this is just really great advice for folks, you know, being a mentor, I know that I was, when I was younger, I was afraid to ask someone to guide me, to teach me, because I I always told myself, oh, they're so busy. They have more important things to do. But now that I'm the one that gets asked to be a mentor uh, to young financial planning uh, women who want to be financial planners, I'm always so happy that I get to share what has worked for me, what hasn't worked for me, and that I can help them uh, raise their career faster and more efficiently. So I think that the mentorship is so important. Well, you know, for, for a lot of, of uh, executive women, you know, they do find it sort of depends on like what brings meaning to you and work. Right. For a lot of people, uh, being able to develop others is a meaningful thing about their job. Right. And so when when they get asked, you know, as long as it's not taking up all their time, uh, you know, when they get asked, you know, you know, many of them will say yes. Uh, and if, it, if they say no, listen, I just don't have the time right now. Ask them then for somebody else they'd recommend. Right. Because they have colleagues and, and friends. And if you can go to somebody else that you've been referred by someone, 
that is, uh, you know, a colleague and a respected, uh, a respect. Then there's, you know, the doors open easier. In, right. In terms of being able to do things. Well, we have time for just a couple more questions, and this is the one I really want the answer to. So let's say that you are a woman who does, you know, pretty much everything right. You're always developing your skill set, you're understanding um, the politics, you get a mentor, uh, you have, you know, your seat at the leadership table, and still you feel like things aren't really working for you. When does a woman sort of like, quote, hang in the towel and decide to move on to another company or maybe another department or, you know, make a bigger career change? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you decide to do that uh, with a couple of different things. One is if you're really unhappy, then we spend way too much time in our lives at work to mm-hmm. be uh, that unhappy. Right. So I think, first of all, examining that and then examining, like, what, what's going on with that unhappiness? Like, what's what's the cause of that? Is it the company? Is it the job? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, who I work for? Uh, I mean, sort of what, what are those particular contributing factors? You know, if it's who you work for, you can go work for somebody else in the organization before before leaving it. You know, uh, if it's your if it's your job then you can go get a different job in an organization, especially for, with large organizations. You know, I, uh, you know, if, you know, just you're unhappy currently in your career, you know, then maybe there's other kinds of opportunities that you can, can look at before you would like automatically just say, let me just leave the, leave the, you know, the corporation. Uh, but if, if none of those things sort of work out for you, uh, then really then starting to take a look at opportunities elsewhere is good for a lot of people. Right. Uh, because what I have seen happen, so this is an interesting thing. Is, so if you don't feel like you're getting promoted internally, but you're doing all the right things and you actually have, you know, a, you know, a huge number of skills to be able be able to sell yourself, uh, you know, to another organization. You know, a lot of times, you know, another organization may recognize those competencies and capabilities more than the internal group will. And then you'll be able to sort of go to that organization and get hired there. And I have seen people rotate through organizations Well, they go get hired and they get into a bigger job at another organization. And five years later, they come back to the other corporation. But at that time, they're at a much more senior level. And had they stayed, they would have had a really hard time getting to that level, being within that particular corporation. So that is certainly an, certainly an option. I mean, I had a, had a client just recently left a, a corporation and uh, she has just been picked up by, a, by another company. And so she went in to, uh, you know, when she was interviewing for this particular job and she actually set a pretty high salary for herself. And they originally came back to her and said, you know, we really like you, but, you know, we just can't meet your salary requirements. And so as opposed to, you know, you know backing off from the salary requirements, she basically looked at them and said, well, you know, what I think is happening here is, is the scope of this job is bigger than you realize it is. And if you want somebody to really have an impact on the organization in these particular kinds of ways, you need to elevate the scope of the work, therefore the salary requirement. And they agreed with her. They, uh, they met her salary requirement and she uh, started last Monday working with them. I love hearing successful stories like that. It, it, it's um, how the first number that I uh, talked about, you know, today, which is the number of women who are now CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, you know, and every year that's going to get more and more. And it's because of people like you who really are the coach behind, um, you know, helping the a woman really navigate all the different elements of having a successful and financially lucrative career. So what is the last thing you'd like to share today, uh, Paula? You've had an amazing and, and really highly successful career yourself, both uh, in meaning and contribution and financial. So what's your best career advice for our listeners today? You know, I, I think, I, you know, I started this out earlier on saying I've always followed my interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that I didn't really get stuck in jobs that I was only taking because I would either get a promotion with it mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, because it, it didn't have meaning for me 
to be able to do that. I, you know, I had to, have, you know, my interests helped define my meaning. So, so just sort of recognizing what's meaningful to you, you know, what your interests are, you know, you sort of started this uh, whole interview off with you know, defining your own sense of what is a wealthy life. Right. He is part of that, you know, title may be part of it for you. Uh, you know, getting back may be part of it for you, whatever that wealthy life is for you. I suggest you spend time figuring that out because, again, we spend so much time of our lives at work. Uh, simultaneously, around that wealthy life, do not forget that financial wealth is part of it. Right. And I. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I, you know, sort of learned in, in my life, I followed my interest, but I all, also always thought about what was the financial impact of that. And uh, so I would say, you know, do the same uh, and uh, lead a wealthy life on multiple, multiple fronts. Perfect. Thank you so much for all the wisdom you shared today, Paula. I'm deeply grateful that you spent this time with us. So thank you everyone for listening. Next week, our show will be Live a Passionate Life with author and clinical psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell. Dr. Carpell will share her own personal experiences of pursuing a life of passion, along with the wisdom of other thought leaders. So she is going to teach us some great tips for creating a meaningful, vital, and joyful life, no matter what challenges we face. Again, thank you for listening and being a part of our Wealthy Life for Her mission. I know you have many shows and podcasts to choose from, and I'm really grateful when you choose ours. If you enjoyed yourself, please share the show with your friends and family. I want to thank Alexis Lieutenant Gregory for our theme music, Eric, my producer, the support staff at Financial Advocates, and everyone at KKNW 1150 AM. Thank you so much, everyone. See you next week. Teresa is founder of Reinventing Her Money and author of Reinventing Her, helping women plan, pursue, and capitalize on their next chapter. Available on Amazon. She is a certified financial planner and wealth advisor for professional women who aspire to a wealthy and financially independent life. Learn more at ReinventingHerMoney.com. According to the American Medical Association study on how women physicians are prepared for retirement, over half of women physicians believe they have unique or more complicated financial needs than their peers in other professions. Teresa Lieutenant believes that every high-earning woman deserves a truly personalized, not cookie-cutter financial plan, so she will have the best chance of pursuing her vision for a happy, healthy, and wealthy life. Explore your financial potential by joining our mailing list at reinventinghermoney.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC.